0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. So let's start by praying. Father, thank you for this world you give us. Thank you for giving us each other for community, for fellowship, for eyes, for all of our senses to see and receive all that you create. Open our eyes wider enable us to see more and hear more, and to become more and more like you. We ask this in your son's name, amen. Okay, so I write fantasy novels for children. It's for children. (laughs) I write fantasy novels for myself. And the beautiful thing is that the New York publishing world has this space where you can say it's middle grade or it's YA, which means that you can do things that are more fun and you can say that it's, it's for the kids, and you, you get to have happy endings and, and things like that. I'm asked on a regular basis why I write fantasy novels. Why fantasy? Now, it, it bums me out that I am asked this more than anywhere else. I am asked this question by Christians, and in Christian contexts, and at Christian conferences. Now, that's not to say that that's what you all would ask. Why fantasy? And you kind of curl your lip a little bit. like <laughs> fantasy. fantasy. Like ma- magic with a Y? <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of fantasy? Yes, and then a CK afterwards. Um, fantasy. Now, the answer I give to this question is that I write fantasy because I'm a realist. Now when little school children ask me this, and they do a a lot of times, I, I say it differently. I say I write fantasy because I live in a magical world. I don't know how to write anything else. But to the Christians who should know better, it's always just because I'm a realist. It is amazing to me how difficult it is for Christians to actually believe what they say they believe. It is very, very difficult to say, I believe, in, well, I believe in the spirit realm, I believe that this is not just a materialistic universe, and yet then immediately operate as if everything is a grinding machine. Walk out their front door and everything is mechanical, everything is, everything is very, very material. It's all just clockwork. So one of my least favorite authors of all time is a gentleman named Philip Pullman, and He's very talented in many ways, but he he wrote a little kid's picture book called Clockwork to to convince kids that everything's just clockwork. It's just a machine here. We're all just, I mean, this weird chemical fatalism, this grinding chemical reaction that we are all just shrapnel flying around, doomed to do whatever it is that we do. Christians don't believe that. Well, asterisks. Christians say they don't believe that and then still act that way, still behave that way. But this is a world in which, if I hold a little bad seashell magnet given to me by my kindergarten daughter, who made it in a project in kindergarten where the, such projects should occur, if I hold it next to the refrigerator, it becomes aware of the refrigerator, it wants to be on the refrigerator with nothing to grab onto or pull or nothing to push off of, it yearns for the refrigerator. And I can stand there and say, no. (laughs) No refrigerator for you. (laughs) And then finally, flack, like let it stick. What does that do to your philosophy of knowledge? How does it know the fridge is there? How does the fridge know the magnet is there? How do the oceans know the moon is there? How does the moon know the oceans are there? How on earth does the moon pull the oceans? G.K. Chesterton will tell you that it doesn't. I think it might not. Because there's nothing connecting them. There's no chains. Absolutely nothing. What is it grabbing onto? And yet it's exerting, apparently, such a tremendous force that the entire Pacific heaves up or the, in the entire Atlantic, and we give it a name. This is, this is what moderns do to try to dodge the fantasy novel in which we live. Well, obviously, it, it has, uh, <laughs> mass as well, masses attract and call this gravity. We call it gravity, but I could hold something up and let go and it goes down and it hits the planet and yet it has no brain, has no mind its mass is aware of another mass? It has awareness? How is this, how is this possible? The answer is God told it to. Very simple. The, like, we're, we're living in the rhythms of God's poem. We live, our natural law is, you, you could say just as well as the, the rules of this particular form of poetry. Like these are his rhythms. We all would say, I hope, that we believe that God made this world. We all would say, I hope, that he created it ex nihilo, from nothing, that he spoke it. He spoke this world, and then we will all go proceed as if we are living in some kind of grinding machine. What does it mean when you say, God spoke this world? What does it mean when you say that he created this world from nothing? Well, you all are sitting on wooden pews, Somewhere those pews grew in some forest, somewhere there were trees. Those trees were stretching for the sun. Those trees were made, this wood is made out of air. It is made out of air because those trees were grabbing light from a burning star. They were grabbing that light from the burning star and they're using the energy off of that burning star to grab CO2. That's the boring word air. Grab it. Using starlight. Splits air, makes wood using starlight. Oh, well, the star is quite close. That makes it so much more reasonable. The pews on which you sit were made by means of starlight. Now, what are they made from? Well, they're made, they're made from air. I thought we established that. The carbon and carbon dioxide. Release the oxygen for us to breathe. If you go stand next to a tree, you can, believe, you can breathe fresh baked air made with starlight as the plant releases it. You can just... <sighs> Freshly made. You know, it's one of those, like, you guys are into craft beers and things in Denver. Just go stand next to a Ponderosa. Mm, nice, don't get anywhere near a juniper, they just taint everything. So starlight, wood, made from carbon. The carbon was made from what? The air was made from what? Well, carbon is one of the elements. We have a chart here where it's made, it's, it's, it's itself. Okay, it's itself. We can get down to the molecular level. We can get down to the atomic level. And at the atomic level, we are all just kind of whistling nervously. None of us have a clue. Most of all, those people who actually study it. They're the ones who get all mystical and start talking about quantum and things like that. Hmm. Yes. So at the atomic level, okay, what's an atom? An atom is something that is so strong that if we pull it apart, You can turn it into light for all of New York City. Okay. Everybody got that? How many of those are there in one of these pews? Such that if you pulled one of them apart, we're talking about cabillions of them in one of these pews, and if you pulled it apart, well, if you did it in a very controlled way in one of those weird-shaped towers, you could turn the lights on in Manhattan with one of those things. That's how strong they are. Now, but what are they made of? Well, we have a thing called the nucleus. There's these electrons, yada, yada, yada. We've never seen any of them. We haven't seen them. You can't, they're too small. Electrons, they move about the speed of light, which basically just means fast. (laughs) Faster than we can imagine. But what are they made of? What are the electrons made of? So we know the wood was made by means of starlight out of air. The air has carbon, which is just a thing where we say just cause and point at the periodic table, just one of the things, it's just one of them, but it can make, you know, diamonds. Um, <laughs> so carbon, and the carbon is made of a molecular atomic down, when you get to the atomic level, it's things moving at about the speed of light, but mostly, mostly just nothing. Mostly there's nothing there. There's a nucleus, and there's some very, very, very tiny things in ratio smaller than our star to Pluto, and in ratio a bigger distance, moving at about the speed of light so quickly, in fact, that it becomes a solid. So if I took an airplane propeller and set it here, flat, and moved it faster and faster and faster and faster, eventually i could set my drink on it. Eventually, I could sit on it. And that's what you're sitting on now. You're sitting on incredible high speed. Mostly nothing. But just those things which are there are moving so quickly that they are measurably in more than one place at the same time, and scientists trip out. (laughs) Now, as you... And they, they turn into the druids. Very quickly. Talk about quantum... Forces, things, you get down smaller than that. You ask what the electron's made of. We don't know. Nucleus and so on. You get, you get these things called up quarks and down quarks, which is just us just saying stuff. And then <laughs> leptons and elementary particles. And then you have these things that hold them together, and the scientists call that, what do they call it? The strong force. Okay. I can I can accept that. That's the strong force. But what is it made of? What is it made from? You're Christians, you believe this already, right? You've already thought about this because you've already told people you believe God created this from nothing. The answer is nothing. That's the magic of it. It's made from nothing. Yes, 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 it's made by means of starlight, carving air which is an element which get down to the structures are very, very fast and very, very empty, but very, very quick. And those things, what are they? They, well, God is talking and you're sitting on it. That's what it comes down to. He speaks and things are, let there be light and there is light would have been one of the coolest moments in history. But it's, it's, it's easy to think about that moment like, oh man, to have been there. Well, you're there right now. I see light. It means God is still talking. There's nothing in me or in you or in the pew or in the light that holds itself in being. There's nothing that makes the light light apart from God. There's, there's no way the light can say, I really am going to try hard to exist tomorrow. It's God speaking we believe that this world is ex nihilo we believe that he spoke it from nothing and then we very quickly turn that switch off in our brains because it's terrifying and then we like to talk about a distant god oh man so there's such a huge distance no that's islam different christianity there's no distance it's it's bridged first bridged by his own creation then in the rift in the fall of man rebridged by his son in the incarnation he's talking now you walk out your front door in the morning and god is saying all sorts of things but he's not very polite he refuses to let you decide most most times what to talk about He's, he's heaving winds and growing trees, carving more forests out of starlight, and you're standing there being like, oh, man, I didn't sleep well. <sighs> I think I'm going to tweet about it. <laughs> Other people can pity me. Bad sleep. Such a pain. Because you live here near the Rockies where continents were smashed together and heaved up. <sighs> I told you the wood is made by means of starlight, and it is, and we're currently whipping around that star at around Mach 86 on a ball, which somehow keeps us down on it. The way I walk as I stand here, and this planet sucks me down, and I catch myself. Yes, it's very, you know, it's teamwork. <laughs> the planet pulls me, and I just keep it from pulling me all the way And then every night I have to hold still and just let the planet just suck me down. (laughs) Just because it's too much. Hold still for a while, and in the morning I can move around on this crust a little bit more. This is a magical, magical world. I flew here, other people did too. And the way we did that is we dug up, by we I mean the dwarves among our people, <laughs> dug very deep and they found the goop left over from when all the forests were rotted into sludge in the time of Noah and they pulled it up and they gave it to our alchemists who simmered it down with big like smokestacks like Mordor, <laughs> you know like all the flame. They, they simmered it down into something very volatile. So step one in flight, have a flood sweep up the forests pin it down, superheat it under magma, turn it into sludge, dig it up thousands of years later and you've got goop on your hands that if you get the right alchemist to work on it is explosive then find some other dwarves who like mine the ore and they, they have these big like vats the size of small volcanoes where they melt all this metal that the elements <laughs> metallic elements just things that just are Just here, they're here already. Not made from anything else. Melt it down, roll it out, form it into a tube, put two little wings on it that don't flap, but they have a curve that tricks air. It's really neat. (laughs) You can make the air go faster over one side than over the other, which makes the air just pick you up, even if you're bigger than 10 school buses. (laughs) Take all the stuff that you've distilled, like great whiskey from the time of Noah and all that ruin, you put it in there Have a woman come stand there and go Buckle up <laughs> Click Because that's going to help me We're good We're good now, right? Click Everything's going to be fine Put all the Noahic Stuff in there The distillation of the Noahic covenant Into the back Then light it on fire like lean back and I sit there and I'm like oh, I hate the middle seat because <laughs> like over the continent so I tell kids if I got to sit down with Frodo and tell him about my world he would go oh I wish I lived in a magical world like you he had to fly on an eagle <laughs> a, big, a big bird Awkward. <laughs> no peanuts, no bad instant coffee. <laughs> nothing like that. God has created a phenomenally magical place. He is speaking you. He is speaking me. If he, didn't, if, he, if he stopped talking about my hand, it wouldn't be here. There is nothing about my hand that makes it logically necessary or self-creating. Nothing. What am I made of? Well, ultimately nothing, but by means of walking around and picking balls of things off of trees, you know, this this wonderful apple made again by means of starlight. I pull it down, and I open a hole in my face. (laughs) Shove it in. Smash it with some bones. Wrap myself around it, and I am allowed to continue to be powered by that thing made by starlight, I can continue to stagger around on the planet. God made this from nothing. He made us from nothing, which means we should act like it. If we say it, we should act like it. This is not a mechanical universe. This is not a materialistic universe. The material is here, and the material is here miraculously. It is here magically, and it is just as magical today as it was the day it was first created. Light is just as mysterious now as it was when he said light and it was. And he's saying light now and it is. So that's why I write fantasy stories. Because I'm always trying to chase and capture some aspect of it. I'm plagiarizing, I'm stealing all the time. Borrowing, mm, I never give it back. Stealing stealing, thieving. No, created in this world, in God's image, means that we should be like him. That's the other thing we like to say and not mean. Well, there's many of those, actually, in the Christian world. This world is made from nothing. We are in the image of God. And as Christians, we're trying to become more and more like him. But we we really like to become like parts of him or like little whispers of him. And that's that's something we have to get over, something we have to let go of. God is like that, and I I say this knowing exactly all the bad connotations, he's like that uncle at the party, at the family reunion that you're embarrassed of. Because what is he talking about? Squirrels. Spiders. Lots of spiders. He's making people trip and fall down. He's giving them splinters. He invented splinters. Like it's just there's all these things, all these I mean hermaphroditic slugs, really? (laughs) Bats? Were bats there when he said and it was good? (laughs) And the spiders and the millipedes and the snakes. Like we're talking about the, the one who made up sex. The one who made up poo. <laughs> made it up. Not just like talking about it rudely or being a little bit gauche at a party. Made it up. There didn't have to be any. <laughs> and yet he includes it in his art. We're supposed to be like him. I'm not saying make up poo. But I am saying, don't try to cut off any aspects of his personality and say, la, 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 I like the sunshine and the flowers on the green grass. And I don't like the ocean devouring a cliff. And I don't like the lion feeding, which God brags about in Job. I don't like blood. I don't like spiders. I don't like insects. I'm sorry. Suck it up. If you're a Christian, you need to. It's that simple. What I tell my kids is, who made that? If we're outside and there's some creepy crawly and, and one of them wants to step on it, whose is it? Who made it? Who designed it? Who said it was good? Now, this is not to deny that there's some aesthetic, scary, spook stuff out there in the natural world. There's a lot of that. There's fangs on vipers, and there's many, many things where I think we're supposed to react by going, ah. But we're also supposed to appreciate the artistry in it. We are meant to be creators, we're in his image and I personally believe that that is the most fundamental aspect of being made in the image of God. It's not, as many moderns would say, the intellect. Because I have two dogs that are really smart. Monkeys can be quite clever. That's not, that the point isn't causation. I, my dogs understand causation, they understand correlation. The point is creativity, what they don't do is they don't paint pictures, they don't tell stories, they don't create architectural movements, and God does. He does it all the time. Creativity is what we are supposed to be cultivating, and I believe it's as the image of God. Now, on top of that, I'll tell you, we're talking about art here, we're talking about creating, but I will tell you that you are all artists You're all doomed to be artists. You're stuck with it. You can't get out of it. You're made in the image of God. You're in his art. And as such, you are sub-creators. You are creating. You're creating scenes. You're you're writing dialogue, for goodness sake. It's one of the hardest things to do as an author is write dialogue. And you're writing dialogue all the time. Hey, Mom. (laughs) Dialogue, scene, There you are, you walk from one scene to the next. God says, here's one second, here's another second, here's another one, here's a moment, here's another day. The light is up, there's the star, it's time for you to go. Next scene, next character, next moment. And then you step into it, he's created it, you step into it creating. Creating beneath and alongside God's own creation and most of the time we suck it up. We're pretty horrible we lose all perspective, we're very selfish, we write terrible dialogue, meaning like self-centered dialogue. Take yourself, your character, think of, think of the most, well hopefully you've not read too much of this, but think of a really brutal author, an author who loves to just tell you everything about the character, every insecurity, every tick, every little flash of resentment, every moment of lust, everything. Give yourself to that author. Say, describe me. I I think of Tom Wolfe when I think of that. Like an author who's going to just be, I mean, destructively honest about his characters. But every weakness, every moment, every flaw, every fleeting thought, that's you. That's the honest version of you sitting there. That's the honest version of me sitting on the plane saying, I hate the middle seat getting up and looking at an amazing day in this miraculous world and thinking I didn't have a very good hold still flat on the planet night. We are boring, boring characters. And it's lucky that God is an infinite audience with an infinite attention span. (laughs) Because we are terrible. And he's willing to send us through a lifetime of character development, and then into an eternal lifetime on the backside in which we will always be becoming more and more like him, like his son, and never quite. Never quite there. You cannot help but be writing stories. You cannot help but be creating scenes. You can't opt out. One person has a MacBook and says, I'm an author. Someone else says, oh, mm, I don't like fiction. Allow me to go create five childhoods I'm going to take five human beings, four, three, two, or just one, maybe seven, but take a human being and create a childhood, that's scarier to me than writing a novel. If you took the most egregiously bold installation artist in New York and you told them, what if you took a baby? (laughs) And for your performance art, you created every moment all the way into adulthood. Every Christmas gift, every song, every meal, even the bedding, you created a whole childhood. They would say, are you nuts? It's probably illegal, yes, it is. Except for the fact that we're all doing it. So I get to work in Microsoft Word. Other people work on humans. I work on humans as well. Every scene I write, On paper is easier than a scene I write face to face with my son or face to face with my daughter. It's like we're now I'm a character here and we're 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 actually communicating. And this is what am I doing right now? Oh oh, uh, uh, childhood, fatherhood, daughterhood. I'm creating all these things all the time, and you cannot get out of it. You are all sons, you are all daughters, your brothers, your sisters, and as such, you're creating your own character and in your own scenes, you're governing your choices, your motivations, your dialogue, your so on. You are living a good life or you're not. You're telling good stories daily, yearly and over the course of your lifetime or you're not, but you cannot opt out of telling stories. That part is as inevitable as every other aspect of God's creation. He gave you choice, he gave you decisions, he gave you senses, and you get to write stories. We're told there's a cloud of witnesses. It's not just God watching. But ultimately the audience is the triune God. And one other thing about God's nature here, he uses every part of the buffalo. Stink it up as much as you want And you'll be used in his art, just like he uses poo. You'll be the compost for other generations. We all will, ultimately. But you will glorify God. That part is inevitable. You will glorify God. You are part of the art that glorifies the triune Godhead. And the cloud of witnesses will say, amen, looking at your life end. They will say, amen, and glorify God, because your life has really revealed God's Wrath, justice, pure and terrible holiness, or mercy, love, and that salvific grace that takes you into the path of sanctification and purification over years and years and years. But ultimately, at the end, you will be contributing to the art. Hitler contributes to the art, just like the orcs contributed to Tolkien's. Like, you will contribute, and you will tell stories. That part is inescapable. I think I was 12 or 13 years old at a men's retreat that I found very boring. It was fine. But it just was, you know, it was a men's retreat. So there was a lot of, like, me not hanging out with my dad because he was talking to everybody else. And that's, yeah, I wasn't resenting the fact. It was great. I knew what I was in for. When you were a pastor's kid and he goes on a, a men's retreat. Everybody takes that time in the woods to, to say, so hey, turns out I've been wrecking my life. Let's chat. And um, so I was a bit on my own. I wandered off into the woods, it was very cold, it was spring, there was a snow melt in the mountains of Washington. I found this huge old tree sprawling over the snowmelt stream and I was sitting on it just watching the water go by. And that's when all of the stuff I'd been told and all the stuff I'd said I believed was really starting to sink in. as I was realizing every one of these water molecules, every one of these atoms that was just flowing by underneath me had a story that ran all the way back to the day of creation. You can go outside and find a driveway rock and pick it up and look at it and it goes back to the day of creation. And every single moment is accounted for in God's art. And he's not bored, he's telling the story. Now, I can go out there and I can be bored. I can pick up two rocks and be like, oh, what's interesting about these? I mean, this one just came out of a volcano. That seems boring, <laughs> volcanic eruption. And this one was made in a river over a really long period of time, but both of them go all the way back. And every day, the story is not blank, it's full. Every single minute, every single moment, every single day of all of these atoms flowing by has been accounted for. If you could grab any of them and say, "Can I pull this volume, please? God could give you the total story, the complete story. And not even for just our planet, but for every planet, for every star, not just our star. That time sitting there by myself, just watching it, tripping myself out, has always been something I've returned to over and over and over again. As we get too busy in our stories, as we, get too, as we lose self-awareness of the fact that we are living in stories, as we become more and more selfish and we start trying to live for ourselves instead of for those around us, we forget that these scenes are meant to be given to others. We get hung up. We forget that God's talking all the time. We forget to look up at this insanely beautiful artistic masterpiece that is our world. We lose it. And that's the moment I always return to. As I get too busy, as I'm typing away really fast, hitting keystrokes, sending sparks of electricity through a flat box, which has collected this electricity from a river running down through a canyon where we set up some wheels to turn to wind up to get that power. And I'm sitting here firing sparks on my keyboard. I'm busy, I have to turn this in. I can just lose track of the fact that this is an amazingly, miraculously beautiful place. And here I am, busy trying to create in God's image, and forgetting all about his image, like losing track of it. It's very easy to get inspired, to try to create and be an artist like God. It's actually hard to do. Here, have 84 years, perfectly image God the Father. Here, have 62 years. In this 62 years, I would like you to image God the Son to everyone perfectly. That is a difficult task, but it's a task that we are all called to. And seeing the humor and the laughter and everything around us, seeing the joy in his own creation, seeing the artistry in his own creation, seeing the rule-breaking in his own creation. You could grab any art critic in New York, sophisticant's, and take them to something, like an anthill, and be like, okay, so write your review. Give us your review, what do you think? Performance art-wise, from nothing. Take them somewhere else and be like, okay, this is something we call a potato. (laughs) Review it, please. And so on, pumpkins, dirt, dust motes in the light, light at all, all of those things are artistic masterpieces. And we get really out of whack with his standards. His standards of beauty. And we have to constantly remind ourselves. The goal is, the the exhortation here, I'll talk more about this and apply it to other things, but the exhortation is just to open your eyes and to see God making noise all the time. Being noisy all the time. Throwing lightning somewhere all the time. Heaping up more clouds and then more clouds. We are capable of looking at how many snowflakes at one time, all individually crafted, falling on our driveway? We are capable of looking at that and saying, oh, darn it. What's wrong with us? I mean, I get it. I was close to doing that on the way to the airport to get here. The blizzard came. I was like, okay, yes, I'm going to appreciate this. This is great. If I die on the way to the airport, I will have died well, <laughs> laughing. <laughs> <laughs> we want to imitate him constantly open your eyes and look around be constantly looking at those things you say you believe and then resolve to mean them to dig down underneath them and to really affirm not just the surface where we say yeah yeah yeah, yeah ex nihilo but yes ex nihilo which means God's speaking now God is, a, is loud now God is an artist now and so I will be as well Ultimately, it is a totally futile task. And I think that's part of the point. Because God here, as in everywhere else, is glorifying himself by grabbing us. We are as sophisticated as the potato. He's going to grab us. We are his medium. And with us and his art, he is going to image his own glory. With us, the father will glorify the son. With us, the son will glorify the father And we should rejoice in the fact that ultimately the storytelling of our Savior is the storytelling that counts. And that's the stuff that we should be imitating. There's much more to say, and I'll try to say it later. Thank you.